Well, hey there, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode. Now, this week is a very important topic for all of us, and and it's one that's near and dear to my heart that I've been looking into a lot more of the last months and even year. And what we're going to talk about is neurodiversity and leadership. The neurodiversity and leadership. It's something that I've been thinking a lot about. And we wanted to have a, a nuanced conversation about it. And what I did is I reached out and brought on an expert to have this conversation with you, with us, to learn more about neurodiversity and leadership from multiple different perspectives. And the, the conversation was pretty wonderful and went, uh, went longer than I usually do an episode. So what I've done this week is I've broken it into two parts. So today we've got part one. You're going to hear part one of the conversation and then part two will come out on Thursday. So if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, make sure you do that. Now, the person I brought on, her name is Cricket Harrison. And what we're going to be talking about is first off, we're going to talk about the terminologies and the context and just to better understand neurodiversity, where it fits in with leadership. I want to just make sure that we're all using the same same words in the same way. And also just make sure that we're bringing, um, bringing everyone up to speed. So for those of you listening, you've probably been thinking about and learning about this already. And for many of us, we, we haven't been yet. So this is, I want to make sure that we're first starting from that same page and understanding what we mean when we say neurodiversity. And then we jump right into talking to and giving advice for, for leaders on how they can support neurodiversity. So here I'm talking especially about positional leaders, those who have formal roles, you're a team lead, a manager, or especially if you're in senior leadership position in your organization. We're going to talk about how to best you know, coach, empower, mentor, support folks who identify as neurodiverse. That's a really important part of the conversation, right? And even for those of you who don't have a positional leadership position yet, um, it is still an important conversation, still important to think about because you are still a leader. You are still a leader, even if you're not in a supervisory or formal leadership position. So that's what we start with this week, the context and how leaders can best support neurodiversity in the workplace. Then part two, which again comes out on Thursday, make sure you hit subscribe. In part two, what we move on to talking about is um, Cricket's thoughts, tips, advice, counsel, her words of wisdom for folks who do identify as neurodiverse. And especially because when I tell her, you'll hear me tell her is that what I, I've heard from my from different people I've worked with from the community is that quite often folks who are neurodiverse or identify as neurodiverse, there's a bit of an hesitation to go for a leadership position. There's a even if it's just minute, there's just enough of a hesitation. It creates just enough of a almost like a speed bump that they may not apply or they may not apply in uh, with full vigor for a leadership position out of concern that that leadership is is not really meant for someone with, who uh, who identifies as neurodiverse. So we have a really important co- conversation there around her thoughts and advice and just. Um, ideas for folks who identify as neurodiverse. And for those of you who are listening who do not identify as neurodiverse, it is still an important conversation to listen to, to help give that insight for you, to understand your team members, your colleagues, 
your senior leaders to understand better the neuro, um, their neurodiversity. And part of the reason this is such an important conversation is because one of my core beliefs is that we need diversity in leadership. We need to have diversity in the rooms where decisions are made. That is so critical. Okay. So especially for those of you who, whether or not you identify as neurodiverse, maybe your experience is being someone who's in a room um, where you're the only, well, you know, the only fill in the blank in the room versus we want rooms that are filled with diversity of thought. We want, we don't want to have rooms where everyone looks, thinks, feels, sounds the same way. We want that diversity of thought. And what I, I would love to hear from you is how important is this topic to you? What questions do you have around this top, around diversity and around inclusion, right? Inclusivity is really important here, right? There's a, there's a, um, the tide's changing a bit in the discussion around diversity where we're kind of almost pulling away from the idea of diversity and, and focusing more on inclusion and being in inclusivity, making sure we have all voices at the table that, that representation matters representation matters so so what questions do you have what how important is it to you what would you love for me to talk about or bring on other guest experts about please let me know and so important to me to hear from you and know first to hear from you that this is important and also then to hear from you what about it is important what questions you have what conversations do you want to hear happening happen so uh, check the show notes. You'll have lots of ways to get in touch with me. Send me an email, send me a DM, reach out to me, however is easiest, and let me know what you would love to hear about because this is an important conversation, right? And for those of you, maybe some of you are, are in places where there is diversity in the room. And first, that's amazing. Well done to your company, organization, industry, wherever you are. That's fantastic. But that said, with diversity of opinion and thought and experience often comes conflict, right? And con conflict can be a beautiful thing. Conflict can be an amazing thing. Productive conflict, right? If you have different opinions, you're going to have conflict. What we want is healthy, respectful conflict. You like I said earlier, productive conflict. So if that's you, if you are in, the, in that room where there's diversity of thought and either conflict is not happening, it's being you know, kind of kept under the, under the covers, or it's just not happening that well. Is that something you want me to bring people on or talk about is how to have that productive, healthy conflict? Let me know, please reach out. And like I said, this week, it, it is a special week. It's a two-parter. So make sure you're subscribed, hit the plus sign, make sure you're subscribed. So you, you get both this part one and you get next week's part two as well. And with that, enjoy the episode. Well, hey there, I'm Liz St. Jean, and this is the Unruly Leadership Podcast, where I help subject matter experts like you design a career on your terms. It's where strategy meets intuition to help you break the rules, ignore the rules, and make your own damn rules. So let's break free from perfectionism, imposter thoughts, and that inner rule keeper that's keeping you in your career comfort zone. It's time to become unapologetically you and step into the life you were meant to live. We're going to talk presence, 
productivity, career, and having it all. Or, as my four-year-old would say, we're going to take over the world. So let's get to it. Well, hello there, friends. Today, I have a really special topic and a really special guest here with us. So we are going to be talking about neurodiversity in leadership. And my guest here is Cricket Harrison. So Cricket is a performance and communication expert, and she works a lot with businesses growing their bottom line faster through speaking and through presentations. So she has a very dynamic style. She's very interactive with presentations and looking at the human side of business. Now, Cricket has a degree in psychology and organizational communication from the University of Texas. And she's a certified coach and has over 19 years of, of experience as a business owner and has worked with over 400 entrepreneurs on speaking and messaging in the past four years. Now, her specialty area is around executive presence, leadership communication, neurodiversity in the workplace, employee engagement, and high-performing teams. So y'all know that she's going to be perfect for this podcast. And then what's really, really special is that she has also been the vice president of an ADHD coaching association. So she speaks on this and she is well-versed in this from multiple different angles in terms of um, neurodiversity and leadership and really helping, like I was saying earlier, with that executive presence and with leadership communication. So thank you, Cricket, so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me, Liz. It's so fun that we finally get to do this. Yes. Well, because you and I have been, I mean, we've been messaging about this for, it's been a, a long time in the making, I was saying just before I hit record. We met in the Peloton Moms in Leadership Group, right? Right. Yeah. So this is a group. There was a, an episode a couple episodes ago where I talked to Melissa, the group leader, and Kirk uh, and I are in that group. It's a wonderful group. So just a shout out to Melissa. Thank you, Melissa, for running a wonderful group. And thank you, Cricket, for being here. So we wanted to kick it off with a bit of a conversation about, about neurodiversity in general, talking a little bit about the, the terminology and the context, because I mean, for some people listening, they may, they may already be following this very closely. And for a lot of people, these, there may be new terms to them, these terms. So why don't we start off with neurodiversity? So Cricket, what does that you know, mean to you? What would you like to share with people about the term? So the term is, is I'd say, relatively new. It's, it's interesting. It's been out for a while, but it's become more mainstream and more accepted with the way the world is changing these days. It really is just, you know, we used to talk about diversity of thought. We'd say when you've got DE&I, there's all the categories that we're aware of, but it's like, where's the diversity of thought? We want people on our teams, on our leadership, on our boards who have different thoughts, bring different ideas to the table so that we're not the same, you know, because when you the old saying, you keep doing and hiring the same and you wonder why you're not getting anywhere new. So it became, it came from kind of diversity of thought is where it started. And a lot of us were speaking and presenting on this topic, but just not calling it anything. We're just calling it communication skills or styles or understanding people. It's often paired with emotional intelligence. How do you understand people and read the room and know what's happening? 
But the neurodiversity came out as more and more people started, A, getting access to uh, medical help or online help that helps them function or figure out why things are either easy or difficult for them or their children got diagnosed. You see, the more that we have celebrities come out and say, hey, uh, I'm autistic or my child is autistic or this happened or the number of celebrities, celebrities that have ADHD. Uh, the huge speculation around Steve Jobs when he was alive around, you know, his brilliance and yet his challenges, right? And rather than trying to talk about all the little different pieces, it was just put in the idea of it's a different form of diversity and it's diversity of the mind. So it, they went with neuro because it's a neurological diversity. Uh, all it really means, and this is what I just want people to really, really understand, it does not mean problem or deficit. And I think people often don't get that. Uh, I sometimes get asked, well, you know, how do I treat someone if, if they're neurodiverse? I'm like, well, ask them. Like, have a conversation. They're people, too. There's different levels of, of mental capacity. We all know that. We wish there wasn't, but that's in the world there is. A lot of your neurodiverse people, you're not even going to know. Some you might, some you might not. But I would caution anyone from ever making uh, judgments because we don't know what's going on in someone's world. But it's, it's just really when you hear people talking about neurodiversity, it's saying, hey, we want to bring in people who might think and do things differently. Oftentimes, they're your big risk takers. They're your high energetic thinkers. A lot of times they're verbal processors. Um, although I have known a few accountants who fit that bill uh, because their focus and love is numbers. Uh, so, hey, if you've got somebody that can hyper-focus on your numbers, that's a good thing. There are places you want people that like a lot of structure and organization. They're perfect in your world in a lot of places. It's just putting them in the right place. So neurodiversity is really just, in my world, it's, it's an overarching label for ADHD, dyslexia, bipolar, autism, any of those things, Asperger's. You know, I like to simplify it on, it's just people who think and do things differently. And that actually relates to the, the other term that people may or may not be familiar with as, or two terms, right, that kind of go together, like neurodivergent and neurotypical. We kind of hear that used for, for the individuals as like it, right. someone identifies as a you know, not neurodivergent, whether it's because they identify it or I've been diagnosed with uh, autism, ADHD, or something else. And then what is neurotypical and how is that term used? So, well, let me, let me back up to the neurodivergent for just a minute. Um, it, it's a really interesting phenomena, again, with where we are in the world right now. Because I will have someone come up to me quite often and go, oh my gosh, I'm so ADD. Before they go, oh my gosh, I'm so neurodivergent, right? But in the workplace, it's because we're trying to be so correct. And I want to be mindful that we don't want to make this in, actually become a bigger stigma instead of a smaller one. Nobody should be embarrassed or ashamed. Parents, if you have children like this, your children, they don't need to announce it to the world, but they don't hide it either because you don't want them to hide who they are. So I think as we move forward in this new place we are, we want to be mindful of that. So people now say it because they think it's the correct thing to say, but it's not what they would say in a small private conversation. It's not what they would say to their friends. Um, but, but to your point, it just is the individual. Neurotypical, 
I hate to say this because I'm not sure it exists anymore, but it just kind of means normal, whatever normal is, right? You follow the traditional thought patterns. Uh, you're not as maybe out of the box. You don't ping pong all over the place and then pull the ideas together. You might be more of a linear thinker. Um, it's so interesting. And I kind of use the air quotes for normal because several years ago, I don't know how many years now, when they were still working on the DSM-5, uh, which is is what they use for diagnostics um, in the States. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's everywhere, but uh, there was a comment made that with the new regulations and guidelines on what would diagnose, should somebody seek a diagnosis or medication, that they are so specific now. These things have existed forever. They are not new. We're just now talking about them. So and now they're so detailed that the comment was made that only one in 10 people would be normal, which then flips everything, right? Because now the one normal person is actually the outlier. And uh, so again, there, there are all these terms and it's so important to be aware of them for the people that do use them. And I think it's equally important to learn to use the uh, terms if somebody's autistic to be able to say, hey, well, you know, tell me, I know so many people are different. What is this like for you? How does, how does it work for you? What makes you, helps you work best? Like, well, we can't be afraid of the actual terms. You don't go to a doctor's office and get diagnosed as neurodivergent. Now, you might going forward, I honestly don't know. But, you know, when somebody is going through this and they know they're wicked smart, and most of a lot of my background really is predominantly with uh, learning disorders in adults and ADHD in the workplace. Uh, borders lines on the edge of, of the, you know, the spectrum, the autistic, and then going down to Asperger's. But a lot of these people are so brilliant. Their vision is so far ahead. They can see it. They can see the end result. They can see years ahead. The problem is they kind of have a Ferrari brain and a Ford Model T processing so they can never get, they can never catch up. They're not even hardly closing the gap. And then what happens is they get depressed about never getting where they think they should be because then they think they're not good enough, which makes them think they're not worthy. And the more they think that, they get anxious about the next task they do. So we always say, or I say, there's something called comorbidities. I call them coexisting conditions just because I don't, again, like that word. And I always say, you know, ADHD's two best friends are anxiety and depression, and they like to always go to the party together. They're never alone. So you're always going through with someone um, the spectrum, so to speak. But it's not just the spectrum of a diagnosis. It's the spectrum of emotions and how things are showing up. And, and you know, is somebody, is the anxiety the prominent issue or is ADHD the prominent issue? And where are they overlapping? Um, so it's, I, I would encourage everybody to get comfortable with, with all the terminal. You don't have to know you're not diagnosing, you know, it's really just about think of it. If it was someone in your family, what are the questions you would ask that are appropriate, of course, uh, and, and be comfortable. So, so yes, it's great to understand neurotypical neurodivergent. Those are when, when people are looking for, you know, DE and I now part of that includes neurodiversity, meaning they want to understand how people think and work differently and invite that into the workspace more so instead of shutting them down. 
And at the same time, we have got to learn that, uh, to have those conversations. Yeah, that's a great segue, in fact. So uh, for those of you listening, what Rick and I are talking about before we hit record was about, um, for those of you, for the listeners, for you, it, there's a good chance you you kind of fall into, you know, one one or two, one of two buckets. So, and one, one of the buckets are the people who maybe either identify as neurotypical or at least don't identify as neurodivergent your leaders and you want to you want to be inclusive you want that diversity of of thought and you're wondering okay how can I be that great coach that great mentor that great leader to people who are um have that diversity of thought so while we pick up there so Kirk and I'll have a conversation for those folks and then we're also going to have a conversation for the folks who are leaders or aspiring leaders who do identify as neurodivergent. So we'll we'll have that conversation as well. So let's start there, Cricket, with the the folks who want to be great leaders. You know, I'll just open it, make it open. You know, what would what would you tell them? What would you want to say to them? Yeah, so it's so interesting because I this conversation comes up a lot and and you know, with everything we talk about, there's big picture and then there's depending on how your, the listener's area of expertise works, right? So we have to kind of put that out there. The bottom line comes down to get to know people and, and what makes them work, what's best for them. If you're hiring a creative for your marketing department and you put them in a cube, doesn't matter whether they identify as neurodivergent or not. It's are you cutting off the source that makes them creative or the reason you hired them? And it's under it's asking those questions. It's again, it's it's we've got to get more comfortable with what used to be uncomfortable. It's saying, hey, um, you know, I noticed when when we had this meeting, um, you know, you seemed confused about something or um, you were doodling or whatever. Um, and saying, you know, does that just help you focus or did you have a question or something or or is everything okay? Because, you know, we can't make the assumption and I want to give a really specific example. We cannot, first of all, we can't ask and we know that. I hope everybody knows that. We cannot ask and you really don't want to make decisions based on assumptions without a conversation. So then it becomes, okay, how do we have that conversation? And you have to have that conversation like you would with anybody of, Hey, what's working? What's not working? If you use the word what, it's really, really good. And I, it sounds so simple, but if I ask you why or how, your brain goes into about me and I must have the answer to solve this problem, which is going to make someone defensive automatically. We have to remember neuro is brain, right? We all have them. So we all go through this. So even the people that say, oh, I don't identify with this, we've had those days. Oh my gosh, we have all had those days. We had those two years, did we not? Where uh, so many of our moms working from home with kids and the house and the spouse home and maybe a pet or maybe you were a caregiver for an adult parent. You felt like you were crazy. You couldn't get anything done. You were unorganized. All the little typical traits that if I asked you the questions, you might have said yes to. That does not mean that you are necessarily neurodiverse. It just means maybe you had a bad day or you haven't had enough sleep. I had an interaction with an adult. This was many years ago now. And it was one of those places, again, something was off and you just knew something was off. The behavior was so off. And 
in this situation, it was a classroom situation with my child. And, you know, we all love our children, but I'm not one that's going to assume my child is a saint. Um, So I was really trying to understand kind of from her point of view and what I know about her personality versus what I was going on in the classroom until I happened to witness it one time. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. It's not my place to diagnose. But if you were to look at some type of, of, of Connor's rating scale or something where you, where it did ask you, you know, a lot of the questions trying to figure out what was going on with this person, you'd be like, yeah, she's irritable and this and this and this. Well, it turns out she was um, having trouble conceiving. So she was on IV treatments. So I think the biggest challenge as leaders that we have is not to make assumptions. It's how do we ask the questions and still being respectful and not invade somebody's medical privacy or privacy in general. Um, But it might be, you know, hey, Liz, I noticed that you, you know, seemed a little off lately. Um, You know, we were, this was a little, we were a little short with the team or we were, you know, we're trying to encourage growth and this was this, you know. Is there anything going on that we need to know better that we can support you with? We, as leaders, can only do what we can do. We cannot, again, make assumptions. We cannot, you know, and we have to think about what if that was me? Um, I spent four years as a caregiver for my mother. I know there were days I probably was way too short with people. I know there's probably days that I thought I made sense that I didn't make sense. Uh, due to lack of sleep or stress or any of those things that can affect us. So we have to really, really get to know people and create a safe environment such that maybe an employee, a staff, in this case, it was a teacher, can come up and say, hey, you know, I want you to know um, we're going through these treatments and it's really important to us. And, you know, if something changes or affects my any way, I'll let you know or you let me know. Like we have to have our employees or our immediate team and then the teams beneath them feel confident and safe and have trust. Which again, well, we're kind of working from home. Everybody loves it, but statistics show that trust is going down and that's going to become a bigger issue. We have to have those spaces to have those conversations and people whether they're neurodivergent or not, everybody wants to be seen, heard, and valued. So the conversation might be more specific questions for somebody, but you still need to treat people the same. It might be a question of, hey, um, and of course I'm using Liz, Liz's name, so everybody think this is not necessarily about Liz, I'm just using her name. It might be something along lines of, um, you know, hey, Liz, I notice it's really hard for you to sit still in the meetings. It's kind of distracting to these two people. Um, if you want, you can stand up at the back of the room if that helps you. Or, or hey, Liz, I know it's um, it's hard for you and you're always rocking in your chair or whatever, and it's, it's hard for these other people. Um, what would be better for you? What would help you? Um, and then... You know, it's learning how to say what would help. It's that what. I I cannot stress enough how simple that is uh, to make it about the issue and not the person. Um, It might be sometimes, hey, I noticed uh, we seem to have lost something in communication. You know, I send an email. I thought it was this. You know, was there something you misunderstood? How can I, and as a leader, I might say, how, how can I be more clear? As a leader, I'm always going to take it upon me the first or second time. By the third time, we need to have a deeper conversation. But if I don't get the results I want, and this person has not been around me long enough to really know my style and how I do things, 
then somewhere I have miscommunicated. I have not been clear. I've made an assumption about something. And then that, again, is a conversation. We have got some brilliantly smart people in the world that have created much of the technology that we use that would probably go nuts in a cubicle sitting still, right? It doesn't mean they're not great employees and team, teammates and that they don't further their company and their position. What it can mean is if they have to bounce or do something or if they're, what's my, this is my, you know, they're doing this. I don't know, you know. Um, sometimes that they're not aware, that actually helps a lot of people focus. So it helps people with anxiety have something to kind of latch onto and it helps uh, people with ADHD focus. And if we think about it as humans, we were never made to learn sitting still. So for them, that's just, and again, you'll see people rock. You'll, I encourage people all the time, whenever they're getting a new office chair, make sure it moves so that you can move because you can be more productive. As leaders, we want our teams more productive. What is it we can do for each individual? Now, does that mean you're going to go out and buy a perfect office setup for each individual? No, it does not. But little things affect people. Uh, fluorescent lighting. Some of our people are highly sensitive to sounds or textures and fluorescent lighting. Many of them, other people won't notice at all. My highly sensitive people will hear that buzz all day long. So imagine if there's a little bee in your ear, it affects your performance. It affects your productivity, right? It's really simple for them to go to their leader and the leader to agree, get maintenance or say, hey, can we pop out the bulbs and the lights over their desk and they just use a desk lamp or whatever. There are so many simple solutions. Now, when we get into certain ind industries like finance and legal, where certain things have to absolutely be done in a certain way, here's what I can tell you. The people only choose those careers if they can do them. I mean, nobody growing up that hated science and math and despised it majored in science and math. They just don't. And even if they start that way, they end up going into consulting or they end up going in a different direction. Um, we often see kind of neurodivergent, meaning I, I refer to it more as out-of-the-box thinkers, different personalities. Um, in the ADHD world, we see them in risk-taking professions. So sometimes they're trial lawyers. Sometimes they're ER doctors. Oftentimes they are CEOs. And I want you to think about that as leaders, and especially if you're an aspiring leader, these people are the visionaries. You know, Thomas Brown years ago, and I can't think of the exact title of the book, but it, it might have even been Hunters and Gatherers. And he talked about the, the divergent thinkers, the people who could think and see differently and figure out what's next and have that vision are the, were the hunters. They were the ones who went out and made things happen and gathered the food and found the next place to go for a village so that they survived, whereas the gatherers, and there's nothing wrong, both are 100% needed, or the ones who, who tended to the crops and tended to the families and grew the community. Both of those are needed in business. You need your visionary, your leaders, your sales, your outside sale team, but we all know we get nothing done without our operations team, right? So you've got to have both sides and you have to look for what is the skill set we hired somebody for. Because this day and age, interviews are uh, a pretty lengthy process. We see, even in the group we're in, we see time and time again, this is why I work for myself. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, 
people, you know, going through, I've been through six rounds of interviews. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's right. you're getting to Harvard right now, right? And and so you make sure you're hiring for the right reason and for the right skill set. And we know skills can be taught, but they can be kind of taught to a point. But at the same time, make sure you're not hiring from a skill set and then putting them in a situation where they can't use their talents. All right. So that concludes part one of the conversation with Cricket. Like I said, make sure you're subscribed. So Apple users click that little plus on the top right hand corner of the screen and come back on Thursday because we're coming back for a conversation again with Cricket to finish it off. And we're going to be talking especially around folks who identify as neurodiverse and what thoughts, opinions, advice, ideas Cricket has for anyone who wants to move into leadership and identifies as neurodiverse. And like I said, whether or not you identify as neurodiverse, it's still an important conversation to come listen to to get some insights around the folks that you are likely working with and working for and who are on your teams. So come back on Thursday. And I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Now, if this podcast helped you or inspired you in any way, I would love for you to leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. It takes about 20 seconds, if that, and it's, it's honestly the easiest way for you to thank me for this episode. Every time I see a review, it brings me so much joy and it just lights me up. So if you could do that for me, I would be ever so grateful. Now, the other thing you can do is you can take a screenshot of this episode or even a screenshot of your review and send it to a friend or share it in a Facebook group or even post on your LinkedIn newsfeed to let other people know about this podcast and this episode. Thanks again. And now get out there and start breaking some rules.